everybody. This is Cynthia Barnes back with another episode of Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes. And I have none other than, are you ready for this? Lori Richardson. When you Google women in sales, Lori Richardson's face comes up. When you open up women in sales in the dictionary, Lori Richardson's (laughs) picture is there in all of its splendor. So I am thrilled, honored, and humbled to have Lori Richardson on the podcast today. Lori, how are you? Cynthia, what a warm welcome. (laughs) I'm not quite sure what to say, but I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you. Good. I am so happy to have you here. And I know that our audience um, of women in sales and those who advocate for women in sales are thrilled to hear from you. So let's dive right in. Tell us about yourself, what you're working on, and and all of that, the juicy details, all the business. Okay. I have a sales consultancy called Score More Sales, which I started in 2002, if you can believe that, way back when. And I am so excited by it. We revamp and renew and update every year. And we're doing some really exciting things, helping companies hire better and evaluate existing sales teams. I'm also president of Women's Sales Pros, and that's a community that helps companies attract and promote and retain great women in sales and also women into sales leadership, of which you are my kindred spirit. Yes, you're doing amazing things. So Lori, how did you get started as a woman in sales influencer? It hit me one day when I was about to do sales leadership training with a company that I had only worked with in each of their offices up and down the East Coast. We had an event where all the offices were getting together and I walked into a room and all the sales managers were there. There was about 80 people and two of them were women. And I was mortified because, I mean, I knew these people, I knew them individually, but I never thought conceptually about what the whole thing together looks like. I I knew it was very male majority and I actually loved so many of the people that I work with. We had a great time. It just shocked me at that moment. And it took me back to the eighties when I started selling, when I had to talk my way into being the first woman on a sales team. And it just made me realize what's going on. You know, what is the problem? And that's when I started looking into it. And then one thing kind of led to another and Jill Conrath bequeathed her group to me, which I rebranded as Women Sales Pros, and then set out to help companies really take a look at what they're doing hiring-wise and see if they could make a more inclusive sales team. That is incredible. And Jill is amazing. So when we talk about women in sales that you look up to, I know that Jill is at the top of the list. Who else is on the top of your list? Oh, man, there's so many people. I'm thrilled at all that you have done, Cynthia. I'm not just saying that because you're here. You're definitely on my list. Trish Bertuzzi is on my list. Yes. Trish and Jill were the first women that I saw in our space that actually spoke up that would actually send a a private email and sometimes a public comment to someone and say, where are the women at at your conference? How come you don't have any women speakers? And sometimes they get really chewed out and even worse. I mean, I've seen some pretty ugly situations happen and they stood up and I, and that gave me the courage to do it too, because I don't know if I would have done it otherwise. 
So right. they're at the top. You know, there's just there's so many other people, though, that there's a woman, Linda Richardson. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but she mm. we're not related, but she started a very successful sales consultancy in the early 80s called Richardson. And I, I know because I tried to get that domain name when I first started and I said, who is this? And um, Linda Richardson was very accomplished and wrote a number of sales books. And, you know, a lot of people don't know who she is. But there, you know, there's a number of women who have been out there quietly just working and and really helping to grow sales. Trish Bertuzzi is amazing. I remember she commented on a post and I don't remember the exact details, but I remember as a result of that, someone put a negative comment on her Amazon review page. Oh, yeah because she had spoken up and advocated for women in sales. And Trish kind of just, she didn't reply because she's not one to, to publicly debate, but it was her strength of, you can disagree with me, but I'm still putting my stake in the sand and advocating for women in sales because that's who I am. And I gained a whole new level of respect for her. So yes, we are definitely in the same camp as far as Trish fans. Yeah. <laughs> fans yeah. of Trish. Yes. Yeah, they're great. So you have a new book in the works. Tell us about it. Yes, it will be out this summer. I'm so excited. It's called Woo. She Sells. And it's designed for sales leaders and CEOs. So it's really designed more for men than women, even though it's called She Sells. A lot of people say, oh, I'm going to tell all my reps so they buy it. And I said, well, hang on, because this isn't the book for women on, you know, on ways to improve, although it's probably an interesting read if you're in sales. But it's, it's for the people that have had trouble hiring more women and having trouble creating a more inclusive team and having trouble retaining women because they've left because they didn't like the culture in their sales team. That's who it's written for. And then there, you know, subsequent things beyond that for women themselves. Nice. So in doing the research and the interviews and all of the things that go into writing a book as important as this one, what was the thing that you learned that shocked you? It's funny that you asked that because just last week I talked to a gentleman who this wasn't like a just a nasty LinkedIn comment like we all get sometimes. This was someone who sought me out and was asking my opinion about getting more women on their sales team. And he told me that they didn't have any women in field sales because the CEO didn't want to hire women and have them get pregnant and leave. <gasps> so I'm I sorry. Say that probably shocked me pretty much. <laughs> and I said, you know, it's 2021. I was about to say the same thing. It is 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that in the eighties. So, oh. and they have a bunch of older white guys in their field sales force. So, and I, I told him that I didn't think I could be of much help if leadership wasn't open to change. So probably was not going to be a good fit for me. Right. And that takes strength to say you, and to realize that a, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. But I, yeah. I, you know, I'm always that the chin, the jaw drops and, and I always make sure I heard it correctly and didn't make it up or imagine it, but it was true. <laughs> so that's one of them. I hear these quite often. Other things about, you know, problems with parental leave benefits. There's still a lot of issues if you're in sales about mm -hmm. getting compensated. There are young women that are early in their sales career that feel 
that they will have to leave sales in order to have a family. So there are many things that I'm sad to report are commonly heard in our profession. And those are some of the things I'm hoping we all shine a light on as we move forward. Yes. One of the things that I was asking the candidates of the WISA Awards, I asked them, what was the biggest the biggest sales myth that you'd like to debunk? And overwhelmingly, when I heard these candidates talk, it was about the, the myth of women can't prioritize family and career, that we have to choose. Wow. Yeah. I know you've heard that before. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, people like to perpetuate phrases like work-life balance. And I don't think there's such a thing. You know, I got into sales as a single parent. So I didn't didn't know anything otherwise, uh, other than the selling I do today with my my child's long grown and gone. (laughs) So it is different. But when I got into it, I think, and I've seen this demonstrated many times that parents especially if you're like I was a single parent. I mean, you get, you're very focused on getting your work done. I get into the office, I get my work done. I'm not screwing around. I'm not playing golf or, you know, chatting up stories or this or that. I'm getting my work done and I'm getting out of there. And most of us know if anybody studied productivity that we fill the time that we have. So if I have less time because I have to be somewhere for something outside of work, I'm going to get my, my job done. And if I didn't get it done, I got, I got it done after hours. And so I, I think that it's really important, especially, you know, with the pandemic and so many people that are working from home now, the the biggest issue right now is just mental health and people Mm -hmm. not working too many hours and, and really drawing a line in the sand. And, and I do hear from women who say, you know, I'm worried that, People are going to think I'm a slacker if I don't take calls after 6 p.m. And I'm like, ah, you know, (laughs) so people need to learn about boundaries and about the fact that you don't you don't need to be on call 24 seven for your job. You just don't. That's a huge thing. I worked for a company and they said that you need to be on call 24 seven, 365. And I said, that's absurd. And they said, that's part of our mission statement. We want to be accessible to our customers. And so many people left the company and those who stayed had anxiety, depression, they borderline burnout. So for women who are in those companies where the boss says, you know what, you need to take calls from your customers and prospects after hours, how can they how can they establish that boundary of and say no without the fear of I'm going to be ostracized? What, what advice do you have for them? Well, like anything else, those are the things that are best discussed up front. So I'd rather discuss it before I get hired than once I get hired and someone thinks that I'm going to be doing that. When you're in that situation, then, you know, it's it's a matter of weighing your options. I contend that there are many, many great sales opportunities, particularly for women out there, and that you need to go where you're celebrated and not tolerated. If you feel like you're treated like a number and that you're expected to do things beyond what is reasonable, you have a talk with your immediate supervisor. If that doesn't work, 
you know, I'd be very clear. I, I don't think people should just leave. I think you should be very mindful and you really need to think things out. And it can be tough if you're, uh, again, head of a household or you have, you know, other issues that responsibilities that keep you from just upping and leaving. I, I don't think anyone should do that. But you need to think about what are my options and get some counsel from a mentor or if you're lucky enough to have a sponsor within your organization, find out what your options are, if this is really true, or if someone just, you know, kind of gave you an ultimatum. Sometimes people say things just to test you. And sometimes we can overreact and react too quickly. So I, I really want people to think about what their options are. Think about just like I did before, was it really true what that person said? Did they really mean exactly what I think? Can can they explain that to me? And once I understand that this is in fact an expectation. I didn't negotiate it at the beginning when I came on board. I'm going to have to make a decision. And my mental health and everyone's mental health is worth so much. You can't jeopardize it by being so stressed with your job that, you know, you can't sleep or you can't get things done. Right. It's really not worth it, especially since we spend at minimum a third of our lives working for someone else. If you are miserable in that position, you can't be a service or good to anybody else. Right. Exactly. And there's some great companies out there that would love to have people who do want to do a wonderful job and do want to work within the hours and might get a mental health day here or there. But, you know, there's lots of opportunities like that right now. Yes, that was leading me to my next question. We don't have to mention any names unless you want to, but what do those companies, because you and I hear from companies all the time that actually prioritize, they don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk when it comes to advancing women in sales. And they've created cultures where women in sales thrive. What do those companies have in common that you see? Yeah, there are a number of different things. The first thing that I thought of was a woman that reached out to me who's looking to make a move because she doesn't believe she has any career advancement. So that's one thing is that you need to make sure that particularly women, we want to know what our options are as we progress in the company. If I work hard here for X number of years or these accomplishments, where will that take me? And she as she was looking around for other companies, she wants to go to a company that is very up on inclusion. She wants an inclusive sales team. So she would ask the people that were hiring managers and she would receive kind of a stuttered answer like, well, and if they can't show her, do you have any stats about your, you know, the sales team or the makeup of your company? You know, how many women are here? How many people of color? And she was, you know, people would just respond with, well, I I think I could probably find something for you. And then there are other companies that have charts and put them up on their websites and show that, you know, we're not perfect and we're, we're working really hard, but here's what we've done so far. Those are the companies I think you should look for and look at third-party sites and, and work to get information from former sales people and sales leaders that have been at those companies to get a feel for the culture. Cause that's what we're looking for is a place where you can be comfortable and, and you really can bring your whole self. You know, people yes. say that, but I know a lot of people don't feel like they can do that. That is true. There's a lot of lip service out there. So I've heard from women who are trying to enter sales because they think 
okay, I've heard a lot of great things about it, but yet they don't have a sales background. What advice would you give to them to get into sales if they don't have a sales background? I was a waitress and I, you know, I did, I, I, I like to talk to people who like me had some kind of, you had a lemonade stand or you sold Girl Scout cookies or campfire mints, or I made ornaments at the holiday time and sold those. I, I was always making and selling or, you know, connecting, doing something. And those are really good signs. But being a server or being in the hospitality industry, like the hotel business, for example, there are a lot of people that were displaced, you know, that still aren't back in their positions that had really good positions. And I would encourage people with a hospitality background to consider looking into sales. Now, I'll be the first one to say that not everyone is a good fit for a sales role. And I know that because in my consulting firm, we do a lot of work using assessment tools. And I believe that there are core competencies such as something called the will to sell. And if you don't have that drive and that commitment and a positive outlook and you're not coachable, you know, there, there are people that just are not going to be a good fit. But I also say doing a sales job for a year or two is only going to help anybody. There's no downside to trying sales out. And I like people to stay longer than a year because I think the first year can be tough can be not necessarily depending on what you're doing but by the second year you've you figured it all seems to come together and if not then you move on but if you become an entrepreneur down the road or you rise within another company you'll know how to sell your ideas and that's why I think it's really good to try it out but also know that you know have some self-awareness and if you really don't feel committed and if you don't want to be coach and you don't want to be better you're not a lifelong learner you know, maybe that's not a good fit for you. That's fair because sales, like you said, isn't for everyone. So of the traits that you have experienced and seen in top sales professionals, what would you say is the number one trait? In terms of the best trait to have or? Yes, the best trait to cultivate. If you had, if let's say we're talking to a woman in sales and you say, if you could perfect this, it would have the greatest impact on your sales career. I'd tag team together self-awareness and coachability. Okay. Because if I have self-awareness and I know what I'm not strong in, or I have a hunch, or I can get some feedback from someone else, I'm coachable, that you can give me feedback and I can get better, then most of the skills are teachable. Most of the sales skills are teachable. The things that aren't teachable is that will to succeed, the the things that you say in your head, that's very hard to teach. You know, you can't really reprogram someone, someone's brain. But if I learn all these skills and ultimately I, I think, well, I knew they wouldn't buy from me. You know, nobody buys from me. And I have this internal series of things going on in my head. It, it's going to be very difficult to be successful. So it's mindset. It's a perfect answer. Perfect answer. <laughs> I just got off the phone with someone head of a company for whom you did some training and he was amazed and blown away at how well your training was. If wow. you could, yes, yes. Very high praise. If you could walk away from a training and instill one thing in the attendees of your sessions, what would it be for those women? 
I want them to be more curious about themselves, about their futures, and about how they can create a, a win-win for them and their company. Because if they walk away with that, then I'm very happy. I'd rather help people think than teach them a certain skill. Because if they can leave there and go, wait a minute, you know, if I did this, maybe that could impact more women to come into our company. Or if I did that, maybe I'll stay longer. I can create a new role for myself. I, I had a job where I created two new roles for myself at my last corporate job. And it's all because I wrote a job description. I knew that the company had a problem in that area. And I showed the ROI. And both times it worked which was quite fun. You know, it's fun to be able to create something within your company and not just accept, well, you know, this is the way it is. It's the same thing I see people do with politics. They just, you know, well, they think this and they think that. Well, you're they, we're part of it. So we, we have to do something too. It's too easy to just complain. And it's quite different to come up with ideas and then present them. If they say no, you know, they, the executives say no, then they, they at least you tried. Yes. I think that women have much more power than we give ourselves credit for. Totally. And a lot of companies will say, this is the status quo. This is the way it's always been done. And this is what we're going to do. And then I've seen women who band together, whether it's in their ERGs or whether it's on a committee, and they make change happen. And they kind of have this mentality of, we want to be the change that we want to see. Yep. Do you think that a lot of the problems that we have recruiting women, getting women into sales can and elevating women into sales leadership, a lot of that can be changed if we, as women in sales, adopt the mentality that we are the change agents? Yeah. I mean, as an individual, I feel that way whether we're, you know, whether I'm a woman or not, I, I feel like I need to be a change agent and I can't just sit back and wait for things to happen. I, I also think it's important though, not to put it all on women to be, you know, we have to fix this because we can't fix this by ourselves. Right. We can be part of it though. And we can be open and willing and ready and helpful and give it an opportunity at, at wherever we're at. And then if we keep running into a wall and, you know, people are not receptive to our ideas and our thoughts and our feelings and the things that we want to happen, then, you know, it might be time to look, look at something else. That's fair. I guess it boils down to control the controllables and, and do what you can, but also realize that there are external factors that may limit what you can do, but you also have a choice. Do I accept those limiting factors or do I go someplace else where my ideas are going to be welcome and where I can grow? Absolutely. I had a sales role where my manager took away my big account and it was because I was a single parent and he knew that this guy that I was working with didn't, he had kids, but he had a wife. And so rather than you know, put up with that, I moved to the competition and I ended up, you know, bringing that account along with me. And so, you know, you have choices, you have options. And that was the best thing I could do without, you know, going to court. And and that worked for me in that situation. That's awesome. We do have options. And I think too often we don't, we're not open 
to the options and we don't exercise our options. It's not easy to make those tough decisions. Right. But I think when we do make those tough decisions, we respect ourselves more and we also gain the respect of those who we're trying to influence. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. It is. So what's the biggest setback that you encountered in your career and how did you overcome it? Biggest setback? I don't know if I had a big setback. I mean, I think everything's worked out for the best. I know there were times, you know, the second company that I worked for where I had to fight to get hired, I turned around and closed a huge deal. And, and so, you know, things went well there. It was just, you know, kind of a struggle getting up to speed. I think the biggest thing, the worst thing that, or the one thing I have a regret about was that I had a company I worked for that told us that we had to go away for a month for training. And as a single parent, I had to leave my son with other people when he was, you know, about eight years old, seven, eight years old. And I would never, you know, no one would ask anyone to do that today, but it was, you know, something that we we got through it and it made us stronger, both he and I, but those are the things that I, you know, I probably would have done differently if, if I had a little more forethought, you know, a little older, perhaps I was young. So, yeah, you did the best that you could. Yeah. 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 What you had. Yeah. Speaking of family and speaking of your son, what lessons did you impart on him that made him the man who he is today? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would love to ask him that. (laughs) Maybe I will sometime. He is a wonderful guy. He's a great father. And he is a wonderful hockey coach. He's in collegiate hockey. And he has, I think, one of the things that I see in him that, you know, came in part from me is that he is, he's upbeat and he's friendly and he builds a lot of connections with a lot. He knows everybody, anybody in ice hockey, he probably knows them. And part of that is just kind of the way the it's a small world, but it's also his thing is that he doesn't burn his bridges and he's, you know, he, he's just, he's focused on learning. He's also always reading and listening and sharing with me a podcast or a book or something. And, and I think that's great. It sounds I, like more proud. I was about to say, I can tell by the smile on your face, you are super proud. That's awesome. He's a good guy. Yes. So I know that you are a high achiever and we talked about work-life balance, but if you had a day where nothing was on your schedule and you could do whatever you wanted and you had all the resources to do whatever you wanted, what would you do? Well, you know, I'm located in New England and it's really beautiful here. In fact, I say this every summer and I just said it yesterday because we had a really hot day yesterday is that people come from all over the world to go to New England to, you know, Vermont and Maine and New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And, and I like going out for excursions. So while I'm in this area, I don't think I'll be here forever. While I'm here, I love going out to different beautiful locations like Acadia National Mm -hmm. Park in Maine or up to Vermont. You know, these are not too long of drives and they really get you away. So mentally, in fact, Lake Winnipesaukee is a beautiful, it's a giant lake with hundreds of islands on it. And 
it's like going to another world. When we drive there, it's 45 minutes from where I live. That's it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I'm going to do more of that. Yes. Be a tourist in your own area. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of Women's Sales Pros, at the end of the book, at the end of the consulting, what do you see yourself doing as you enjoy the next phase? Well, it's funny that you asked that, Cynthia, because I already feel that as I'm older than most of the women that are working to build women in sales efforts, I feel like I'm at the point where I can offer wisdom. I don't need to be the panelist. I can be behind the scenes. I can be talking and writing. I don't have to be at the event. And that's a very good feeling for me that, mm. that as I age, I don't know if you saw, I think it was Fortune magazine that had 50 women over 50. Forbes, yes. Oh, oh Forbes, yeah. I was yes. like, woo, woo. It's so awesome. Finally. Oh, yeah, I just love that. And, you know, I'm going to continue to to help create content that everybody can digest that makes sense, that helps build more inclusive sales teams because I'm committed that we need to change the face of sales. We do. And with work like yours and your commitment and your energy and your dedication, that's happening. It's slow, it's tedious, but you're making it happen. Well, You're we, we all are. I would say we all are. Yes, because it takes a village. Yes, it does. It does. Of all the things that you've accomplished in your illustrious career and in your personal life, what are you most proud of? Hands down, it's having a child and, and seeing them grow up and seeing my grandchildren. You know, that there's nothing beyond that for me. Career is secondary to that, to family. So that's an easy one. What matters most, as Mary Kay used to say, you know, God first, family second, career third. And a lot of times we mix the second and the third. We put career before family. But as those of us who are maturing and aging, I think I, I can't speak for you if I'm going to ask you, do you ever, was there ever a time when you prioritized career over family? Yeah. That time that I went away for a month Yeah, <laughs> and didn't really think. I didn't think I had any options. I was young and my boss said I had to do it. And then later I learned that my boss negotiated weekends back home, you know, so at least I could have gone home on the weekends. So, you know, sometimes you just learn things the hard way. And I've, I've had many opportunities to do that in my life. Yes. So at the end of your career and at the end of your days, Those whom you love and respect and hold in high regard, what do you want them to say about you? That I worked to make change happen and that I I lived in the moment as, as much as I could. And, you know, that I was fun to be around. I can attest to that. You are definitely fun to be around. It is. It is. I remember the first time I met you, I thought, you know what? Lori's going to be my new BFF. (laughs) I remember that day vividly. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I was so starstruck. I thought, oh my God, it's Lori Richardson. Oh my God. I was taking selfies with everybody. I was like a kid in a candy store (laughs) and then posting them all on social media. I thought... I am in the same room with these women that I have been following and admiring for years. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I'd like to know if you were stuck on a deserted Island, what three things would you bring with you? My laptop, 
<laughs> do I have Wi-Fi? I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe some matches. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be practical, right? I'm to save people probably, but I want to make sure that I have things that. So that I should have said a boat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that uh, would take all the fun out of it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being there for a few days, but then I'd like to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be nice just to relax, but yeah. we we would miss those whom we love. Absolutely. We would, yeah. Are you a cat or a dog person? Dog. My dad was allergic to cats when we okay. were young, and so we only had dogs. And he really was. I found out later on, he, he got very sick one time when he got near a cat. So, well, cats are fine. I have many friends with lots of cats. I'm definitely a dog person. Definitely a dog person. Do you have a dog? I do not have a dog right now, but I live in a building where there's some great dogs that I get to visit with. And Perfect. Yeah. One of them's named Elvis, and he has little short legs. (laughs) So we we have fun with the, the neighboring dogs. Okay. And you don't have to clean up after them? Not at all. Lori, a couple more questions because I I am enjoying our time together. Who has helped you along your way to the success that you've achieved? Well, first of all, I need to say my husband, Peter, uh, because he's always the wind uh, beneath my wings. And when I traveled, you know, he's holding the fort down in our company. And uh, that definitely couldn't have done as much as I have done without his help and support. And beyond that, I mean, beyond family, then I think that it's just, it's this community, the sales community is amazing. As you know, there's some amazing, amazing people that I used to feel when I first started my company, I thought, you know, if I get too big of a customer, I wouldn't be able to help them. And, you know, and then now I'm in this, this world where there's so many people we can work with and leverage Mm -hmm refer to and, you know, support. And I've even seen people who were sick, who became sick and couldn't do a speaking engagement on a stage and have someone, another peer offer for free to go and and do that in their place. And that's incredible. You know, and I've seen that more than once. I've seen it multiple times and, and that really warms my heart. Yes. That's, that's the magic of community. Because I think that those of us who value community realize that when one of us wins, we all win. Yeah. 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 It's it's not for everybody. Not everybody has an abundant mindset, but when you do, the the world opens up to you. It sure does. If we could go back to Lori, who just started her sales career and picture her with her mindset. And if I were to ask that Lori to finish the sentence, I am what? What would she say? She would say, I am scared. Because <laughs> I left a teaching job for a straight commission sales role. Wow. On, on the advice of people I didn't know. <laughs> who told me that there was a lot of money in technology sales. As it turned out, they were correct. And they did not misguide me. And I had a wonderful first career experience. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. And I'm still in touch with some of those people, you know, 30 plus years later, if you can imagine. That is incredible. Yeah. 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 But I I could negotiate my salary, you Mm -hmm. know, so that's, that's a common mistake that women can make. 
but once you know better, you got to do better. And yes, and that's, you know, cause that can goof you up for years. If you start lower, you continue lower. So yes. that, that was a big thing that I didn't realize as well. If I were to ask Lori of today in 2021 to finish the sentence, I am, what would she say? I am so excited. <laughs> Sometimes I can't go to sleep at night, Cynthia, because I'm so excited about what I'm doing the next day and uh, that I'm, I'm just learning and growing and I love to see all the changes and opportunities that come along with it. And I'm just happy to be doing what I'm doing when I'm not happy. I'm not going to do it anymore. I know that. That's respecting yourself enough to walk away from those things that don't grow you, serve you, or make you happy. Right. Yeah. 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 You are truly unstoppable. And I knew that when I started this podcast, I had to interview you because I, I admire you. I respect the heck out of you and you're aspirational to me. What makes you unstoppable? Well, let me first say it's mutual admiration society here. So I feel the same about you and I'm amazed that you keep going on and, and you're shifting and growing and doing bigger things And I love that. What's unstoppable? Was that the question? What's unstoppable? What makes you unstoppable? I want to learn more. I'm a connector of people and I just want to do more. I don't know. I'm just compelled to do more and to see people will tell me that I introduced someone to someone else and they went on and had several years of working together. It's just amazing. I just love, I love hearing those stories. That abundant mentality, realizing that when you put what you put out comes back to you. Yeah. And yeah, not a lot of people have that abundant mentality. They have that scarcity mentality, but you and I both know that a closed fist can't receive. Right. So true. And, and I, it makes me feel good. Like I don't do things to make others feel good. I think we're, we're all very self-motivated in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. but it really warms my heart to help expand, to be more expansive instead of just taking, I'm sure I've, you know, I've taken my share of things in the world. If I can give something back and share, that's what I want to do now. And you do it so well. Is there anything before we wrap up today that I didn't ask you that you'd like our listeners to know about you? Just that we're, including you, are helping. We're going to put together a big event on November 3rd. And I know this will be an evergreen podcast, but if it's before November 3rd, I would encourage people, and I'm sure it'll be archived after that, that we're going to have an amazing day of women in sales conversations. And that's going to be virtual and there'll be lots of information about it soon. Great. So I know that our listeners are going to want to follow you, get in touch with you. How can they do that? Yeah. The best way is through LinkedIn. Let's connect through LinkedIn. Please customize a message because a lot of people, as I'm sure you get those too, Cynthia, I can't connect to every single person that doesn't have a picture or a name or a company please just say that you heard the podcast and I'd love to accept your connection. Also, we have Twitter, Instagram, uh, where else? Facebook, LinkedIn, we're all over. This is Cynthia Barnes with Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes. Lori Richardson, you are in one word, simply 
amazing. And I thank you for all you've done to advance women in sales, to promote women in sales, to create awareness about women in sales, to challenge the status quo and essentially create a movement. Thank you for doing that. It makes my job a lot easier when women like you create something so special. I am truly honored to be your friend. I am truly honored to have you on this podcast and I have nothing but the highest admiration and respect for you. Thank you for sharing your time and your energy for pouring into us and for all you do. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure.